So that was Jenny sharing right there. Jenny's maiden name is North, and you may recognize that last name for her mom and dad were Joni and Elmo North. Elmo uh, has gone to be with Jesus now. Elmo was diagnosed with cancer and for about, I'd say, seven to eight years, lived one of the most phenomenal lives of keeping his eyes on Jesus in the midst of having a terminal disease. Some of you remember and know Elmo's story. His memorial service was one of the most incredible things I had ever seen. He videoed himself before he died, speaking to those who would be at his funeral and telling them the good news of Jesus, that his hope was in Jesus. It was just incredible. But let me rewind for a minute. And it involves Jenny North Meeker as a first grader. As a first grader living on Shaylin, I think I got that right, Shaylin Avenue in Orange. Living next to Jenny was the Sheffield family. Maybe you remember Bill and Carol Sheffield. Carol's a wonderful member here of our church. It was the Sheffield's daughter that invited first grade Jenny North to Calvary Church to our VBS, and that started a journey with Jesus for Jenny. Her brother is Vidon as well. Eventually, Joan accepts Christ. Elmo accepts Christ. Elmo now becomes the last person you'd ever think singing in our choir. <laughs> Joan comes on our staff here at Calvary Church. It's just an incredible story. And it started with the Sheffields being fishers of people, taking their fishing reel and throwing it over the neighbor's wall. <laughs> and Jenny coming here to Calvary to taste and see that the Lord is good. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? And that's the wonderful story that you heard Jenny just read and that we get to dive in here to this morning. Here in Luke chapter 5, if you haven't already turned there, turn there right now. Luke chapter 5, New Testament, we're going through this wonderful gospel book, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here in this New Testament, uh, our, our series is called Jesus Reveals. And today we're talking through this concept of Jesus reveals how to follow him from the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. We see in that opening verse here in chapter 5 that Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Here's a modern photo of what that looks like. It's beautiful. This photo, drone looking down below, this is actually where we think Peter's home was. Now, it didn't necessarily look like this. It's, there's been a church built in this area. There's also a monastery kind of in this compound. So Peter's uh, home was a lot more modest than what we're seeing in this photo. But what I want us to see is how close Peter most likely lived to the water. He was just literally a stone's throw away. And you can see on the beach, it's just littered with rocks. Have you ever been like to Doheny and you've heard the water coming in and out and you can kind of hear the rocks like turning and flipping. Don't you love that sound? Just 
Well, that's more like a sprinkler, but I don't know. But you, you get the idea. <laughs> that's what it sounds like when you are here on the Sea of Galilee near Peter's home in his hometown as you hear the rocks kind of churning. I had the privilege in 2014, actually with some of you here in this very room, to uh, go to, if you could help me with the next slide, guys, um, to go to this very spot at the Sea of Galilee. This was, forgive me, this is my iPhone 4. This was 2014, okay, so it's a little grainy. But I stood on this very spot going, no way. Just hit with two things. Hit with, number one, just kind of the normalcy of the places that Jesus stood and preached and lived and performed miracles. I mean, it just felt like you know, somewhere that could be here in California. But then also the second thought of like, no way. Jesus stood most likely on this very shore. The God of the universe who Colossians says holds all things together stood in this very place. I got a little closer uh, with my iPhone 4, and I looked down in the water, and I saw a fish. This fish just swimming around. I was like, no way. This is the great, 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 great grandson of one of the fish that maybe got thrown into the boat. (laughs) And so being the fisherman that I am, I caught it with my bare hands and ate it that night. <laughs> Mothers, don't you want this for your Mother's Day dinner tonight? Wouldn't this sound wonderful? This is actually the meal that we had on the Sea of Galilee. It's a tilapia fish. It's also referred to as St. Peter's fish. It's one of the most common fish in the Sea of Galilee. And so this is most likely the fish that were caught in Luke chapter 5. This tilapia that's wonderful for frying, cooking up, and eating. There's three other types of fish, if you're taking notes at home, uh, that are common to the Sea of Galilee. It's, you have your tilapia or St. Peter's fish. You have kind of like, what if, for lack of a better term, like a big carp. That's like can be up to 12 to 15 pounds. So think about that when you wade into the Galilean. And then you have sardines. And those sardines, even in Jesus' time, were a popular fish to pickle and then to distribute out. And one of the most, uh, like I guess I'd say common areas for that to happen was in a place called Magdala, which we know is where Mary Magdalene was probably from. So this was all happening in these seaport villages around the Sea of Galilee. Fishing was one of the primary ways to make a living. I, uh, on our 2014 trip, I just couldn't sleep all the days we were in Israel. If you've been to Israel, maybe you felt this. I was just so excited, so pumped to be here. I just didn't want to miss anything. And so we're here on the Sea of Galilee, and I woke up uh, when the sun came up. And I walked down to the, to the shore and, and, and the lining here of the water. And I just sat here as... The fog was kind of clearing from the water. The sun was coming up. Just reflecting on that our God used this landscape for so many incredible things. And then after a little while, I ended up just walking down the shore. 
and just talking to God, thanking him, being in awe of my surroundings. And then I look over and there's a fisherman. <laughs> there's a 2014 fisherman here uh, practicing fishing, maybe much like Peter and Andrew, James and John did. No, nothing like it as he's in waders and using some type of power bait. <laughs> but it just hit me as I'm here in this spot that these things really happened. And my prayer is that as you're, you're reading here in Luke 5, it will move supernaturally through the power of the Spirit uh, from uh, just looking at it one-dimensionally to it popping off the page. Moms, you remember reading uh, to your kids? Remember for a while those popular books that like, you, they would, like you'd open the next page and it would pop up? I, I pray that the Word of God does that in our lives even in these moments. Luke chapter 5 May this be real because it is real. This really happened in a real place here on the Sea of Galilee. Verse 1 explains it like this. Jesus speaks. He's been, in the last year, moving around the villages of Galilee. He's been preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He's been healing people. He's been proclaiming who he is. And the crowds are beginning to take notice. In fact, in, in chapter 4, we see the crowds just surrounding him. And as we talked about last week, Jesus had to take a breather. He had to have a Sunday slowdown to just go, okay, I need, I need to recalibrate with my God. But now we're back in the crowd section as the crowds find out where Jesus is and they surround him on the seashore. And it says here that they pressed in on him, listening to the word of God. What strikes me about uh, this sentence, this description of Jesus' teaching, is that you notice it didn't say Jesus brought down a scroll and unrolled the scroll and began teaching from it. Now we know he did that in Luke chapter 4 when he was in his hometown and he, he opened up to the scroll of Isaiah. But here on the shore of the Galilean Sea, Jesus preaches, Jesus teaches, not with a scroll, but with the authority of his own words. And Luke describes it as the word of God. Isn't that powerful? It's actually one of Luke's favorite phrases. Luke has these phrases that he uses throughout the Gospel of Luke and throughout the second volume, which is the book of Acts. These phrases that he enjoys using, phrases like uh, the people were amazed or the people were astonished. And he uses this phrase a lot, the, the word of God. And we, as Christians, use this same wording, don't we, even here in 2023. We believe that this scripture, these, these pages written by actual people talking about actual events inspired by the Holy Spirit are the word of God. And ultimately, as another gospel says, John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, the word becoming flesh, he's preaching here on the shore of the Galilean Sea. 
And the people are astonished. They're amazed. They acknowledge the authority in which this man is teaching. Verse 2 of Luke 5 says here that in the midst of teaching, Jesus noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. I brought my own version of a net here. This is very pithy. (laughs) But hopefully it gives you an idea. So Jesus is teaching this amazing time of of preaching the word of God. The people are pressing in around. They're just straining to, to listen and to learn from him. And then it notes that there's these two empty boats on the shore because the fishermen are busy cleaning them. So I'm reading into the text, but go with me on this. Peter isn't quite as impressed with Jesus' teaching as the rest of the crowd is. Peter has work to do. Peter's a fisherman. This is in front of his home. This is probably where he does this type of thing every single day. And as the crowds press into Jesus, the boats are empty, and Peter and his brother and his fellow business workers, they're off to the side, cleaning their nets. But this doesn't phase Jesus. Jesus particularizes Peter, and he says, Simon, which was also Peter's name, Simon, I need to use your boat. This is going to help me be understood by the people, not be so trampled by everybody. And so take your boat and let's push out. And so you can see in verse 3 of Luke 5. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. It's just a powerful scene. Using acoustics of the water, Jesus continues to preach. Found this beautiful 19th century watercolor of this scene. of Jesus just on one of these boats. Typically a first century boat in Jesus' time would be anywhere from about 18 to 32 feet. In fact, if you ever make your way to the Sea of Galilee now, they've found a boat that they date back to the first century. And so you can kind of see what a boat from that time would look like. So Jesus is on this boat. He's preaching with authority. The crowds are being ministered to. They're leaning in. They're they're pressing in. Which, a side note, are we pressing in to the word of God? We have such access to God's word here in 2023. It's on our phone in a thousand different translations. Many of us have multiple Bibles scattered throughout our house. Are we taking advantage of God's word? Letting it speak and minister and change us and lead us? Are we pressing in like the people in this scene are pressing in? to the word of God, to Jesus. May that be so as followers of Christ. And so Jesus is teaching here, and then we continue with the story, as you heard Jenny read, where he finishes teaching, and then Jesus says, Simon, let's go back out and fish. 
take the boat a little bit deeper. Now, I heard one commentator say, which I thought it was so good. He's like, the irony of a carpenter telling a fisherman how to do his job. <laughs> That'd be me, like me coming to your work tomorrow and being like, hey, I know you're an accounts payable and I've never even seen this program before, but why have you thought about doing this? <laughs> Yet Peter, maybe graciously in this moment, maybe hiding his annoyance, he responds back to Jesus and he says, Jesus, we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. Basically, he's saying, Jesus, it's, it's useless. This is, this is not the day for fishing. I've just cleaned my nets. We're finished with that. And I really don't want to go back and grab this thing. I remember working at Togo Sandwich uh, when I was uh, 15, 16, 17 years old. And we would close the store at 9 p.m. at night. And to try to get out of there quickly, we're all teenagers, we would clean up everything by about 8.30 Everything just ready to go, clean up. All we have to do is hit 9 o'clock and then lock the door. And then that was right when, like 8.55, it would never fail. A group of like 10 college guys would come storming in. So Togo's and you'd be like, no. Maybe Peter has a similar thought here. He just cleaned his nets. It had been a terrible night. Let's just move on. My beach, the, the beach that I've grown up on since I was a kid is being overrun and, and overcrowded by a bunch of people listening to that teacher. And I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm busy. Now remember, Peter lived basically day to day, hand to mouth. If they caught fish, it was a good day. If they didn't catch fish, then it was obviously not a good day. And that would affect everything in their family. Their whole lives revolved around fish. They lived just a stone's throw away from the water. They were constantly thinking about fish. The whole family was most likely involved in selling the fish to their neighbors and their extended family. Peter knew this spot. Master, Lord, it's not going to work today. Have you ever said that to God? <laughs> God's invited you into something. God, you don't understand. That's not me. I, I, I can't do that. When I was 15 years old, many of you have heard this story before. When I was 15, I went forward at Hume Lake Christian Camp. And at 15 years old, I came before God and I said, God, I believe you're 100% real. And I will follow you with my entire life from this moment on. But God, please don't make me a pastor <laughs> or a missionary. <laughs> that was my surrender prayer to God at 15. <laughs> There's a whole backstory to that. My dad was a pastor. He had experienced a super painful thing at our church. I didn't want to go to places that I didn't want to go. <laughs> Ironically, as a 15-year-old, I wish I could have fast-forwarded to this moment right here. <laughs> a pastor to missionaries. <laughs> God is good. But here's Peter 
You don't get it, God. You don't have all the information here, uh, Lord, Master. Let me do the fishing part. You can stick to the preaching part. And yet, for some reason, I think probably inspired by the Holy Spirit, Peter agrees to go out. And so that's what they do. End of verse 5. Look at this, Luke 5. End of verse 5. Peter says, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And then verse 6. The miracle of the fish. Their nets are so full of fish that they begin to tear. Another commentator I read, I read said this. Every fish in the Sea of Galilee jumped in that boat. <laughs> All the tilapia in the region came rushing to that boat. Now remember, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. At Jesus' command, he can do anything. He can calm storms. He can heal leprosy. He can send fish to a net. And here is the Almighty One filling this boat with fish. And not just one boat. Peter yells out at his buddies, hey, we need you. And they bring the second boat out there. And then that boat is filled with tilapia. Tilapia for everybody. And then the boats even begin to sink. It becomes this moment of celebration, this moment of panic. Like, we got to figure out what to do here. we got to get these boats back in. If you've been watching the series, The Chosen, there's a great scene about this story in The Chosen. I think it's in season one, if, if you get a chance. But Jesus displays his power in this moment. He's already displayed that he's the word of God as he teaches. Now he displays his power in performing what really is a miracle and filling these boats with fish. But here's the fascinating part. This is when the story, I think, really takes off. We have the fish that, that fill the boats, but then the story zooms in. And it zooms into this interaction between Jesus and Peter. And you see Jesus, the Holy One. And then you see Peter and his conviction of being face-to-face with the Holy One. Look at this verse. Peter says it like this. Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Interesting in Luke 4, the demon said the very same thing to Jesus. Depart from me. Get away from me. Leave us alone. Here is Peter in this next scene at the Sea of Galilee seeing the authority, the power of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus. And he says, Lord, leave me. I am such a sinful man. Now maybe, maybe what Peter's saying here is, God, if you only knew my thoughts when I was cleaning my nets and you were teaching. If you only knew my thoughts when you asked me to take my boat after a futile night of fishing where I caught nothing and I'm discouraged and I'm depressed and I'm annoyed. If you only knew my thoughts then, God, 
then you would know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. Maybe you feel like that here today. God, if you only knew my thoughts, you wouldn't want to use me for anything. Whoa, just me. I am a sinner. Jesus, really, go invest in somebody else. I am not worthy to be invested in. Peter proclaims this to Jesus. But then here is the amazing thing. Look at verse 10, the second half here. It says, Jesus replied to Simon, do not be afraid. You see that? Do not be afraid. Now, interesting enough, Peter, when, when he got out of his boat and he's face to face with Jesus and he goes, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. It's kind of a strange response, isn't it? Because you would almost think that Peter would say, Jesus, you de bomb <laughs> to use our Mother's Day. Thing. All moms, as you leave here today, you're going to get uh, a little bombast, okay? A little side note there. <laughs> could have said, Jesus, I, I praise you. I thank you. Or he could have said, Jesus, I want to offer you 90% of this business because what you do is pretty cool. We could, we could partner together here. Instead, this, this response is interesting. Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Now, how do you think Jesus should have responded? How would you expect Jesus, the God of the universe, the Holy One, to have responded to Peter in this moment on the Sea of Galilee, steps away from his house? I mean, I would expect Jesus to say, you're right. You are a sinner. You're right. I probably could pick and choose a lot, a lot of people more qualified than you. You're right. I, I will leave. If you're asking me to leave, I, I, I'll, yeah, I'm out of here. I don't want to stay where I'm not wanted. But look at his response. Do not be afraid. There's such mercy in that response. There's such an invitation of grace in that response. Maybe some of you, my friends, you're at a place where you're like, I'm interested in Jesus. I think I'm ready to follow Jesus. But I don't know. I got too much junk in my life. I got too much baggage in my life. I just can't be one of those Christians. I don't have what it takes. Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Maybe you're at a point where you're like, I've been following Jesus for a long time, but, but I don't know what I think he's calling me to right now. It, it's, it's a high calling. I, I'm, not sure if, I'm not sure if I can do that. I'm not sure if I can trust God to, to leave everything that I have and, and to go do this. I'm not sure I can trust God to go ask forgiveness to my neighbor. I'm not sure I can trust God to call my mom today. Jesus is just offering you mercy and grace, do not be afraid. And then look at the next line. The calling of Peter. It's incredible. Incredible what we see here. From now on, this is Jesus talking. 
You'll be fishing for people. So he gives this call, this, this in a sense, this identity over Peter that from now on, you've been a fisherman of fish. Now you're going to fish for people. Ironically, when you fish for fish, you take them to die. Now it's going to be the opposite. Peter's going to fish for people to point them not to death, but to life in Jesus. And so Peter receives this calling from the Lord. But it's actually just not for Peter. His brother Andrew is next to him and their co-workers in this business, James and John, are there as well. And then look what it says they do in response. The end of 10 and, and beginning of 11 here. As soon, it says, from now on, we're fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I, I did a little research this week on the word everything and what it means in this text. And the word everything in this text actually means everything. <laughs> they dropped their nets. They left everything to follow Jesus. Now notice the progression of this whole story in Jesus' invitation to Peter and these guys. First, he says, can I use your boat? Then he says, let's go fishing. Next, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of people. And their response to this invitation along the journey is they're in. They drop everything. They leave everything to follow Jesus. Incredible. What a model for us as followers of Jesus here in 2023. You could go to the next slide. So here's the application. Moms, go ahead and just leave your kids. We're good. You guys can take two weeks. Go to Hawaii. Just relax for a while, okay? That's <laughs> No. What does it mean to leave everything for you? What does that mean in your day-to-day -day life? It may mean something a little different than it meant for these fishermen in the first century. For them, it meant to follow the rabbi to wherever he was going to go. As he bounced around to different villages in the Sea of Galilee, as he eventually made his way to Jerusalem and to the cross. But what does it mean for you and I to leave everything to follow him. Well, you can see even in this passage, it's, it's more of a narrative than it is a prescription. We're not just called to do every single thing. Like, okay, if I don't know what to do with my life, I'm going to go down to Newport and I'm going to fish and wait for God to show up. <laughs> and there's some things here we can read into the text, but really it's, it's pressing into the word of God. It's letting God's word shape you and impact you and change you. It's acknowledging that you're a sinner, that you need a savior, that you can't do this life on your own. And then it's ultimately listening and obeying the call of God in your life. Now, for, for all of us, that could be a little bit different. That could be your calling is to be the best and most amazing godly teacher tomorrow 
at your school. Three weeks left, you got this. <laughs> For some of us, that might mean being a grandparent that takes the time to mentor and disciple your grandkids this summer. For some of you, it's like the Sheffields inviting Jenny North to VBS. What will it look like in your life to make the priority of your life following Jesus, to, to cast down your nets, so to speak, and follow him? This is a wonderful challenge for us, but it's also a wonderful invitation. You see, Peter, as you follow his life, I love looking at the gospels of a guy like Peter and then reading 1 Peter and 2 Peter later on in his life. It's, it's the ability to look at a guy later in his life and to have the wisdom of trusting God through all kinds of circumstances. And then to look back and say it was worth it. Peter would say, it was worth it to leave everything in this moment and to follow my Messiah. In fact, later in 1 Peter, he writes, Once we didn't receive mercy, but now we've received mercy. Peter came face to face with the mercy of Jesus. Woe to me, get away from me, I'm a sinner. Don't be afraid. I'll make you a fisherman. Come follow me. And Peter would look back and say, it was worth it. And that's my encouragement to us today. It is worth it. Following Jesus will be something you will never regret in your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for situations and scenes like this where we can look 2,000 years in the past and we can be encouraged for tomorrow. God, thank you that you, Jesus, command even the fish to go into the nets. God, thank you that we can trust you with our bills and our finances. We can trust you in our family relationships. We can trust you with what awaits us tomorrow. So God, would you give us the courage, number one, to just follow you. To say you are the one that's worth following. And then to God, would we hear your calling clearly and then obey what you have for us. We pray this in the wonderful name. The name above every name. The name that one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. Jesus.